So we are going through Jehovah Sidkenu tonight, which is the Lord our righteousness. Uh, so my question for us, we're going to use our good fancy whiteboard, high tech that we are. Um, what does righteousness mean? What do you think righteousness means? When you hear the word righteousness, it's a very biblical name. It's not one, something that we often say in our regular conversation, right? You're not asking your friends, hey, are you being righteous today? Right? What, what, is, what does righteous mean? What does it mean to be righteous? What do you think of? Yep. Doing the right thing. Doing the right thing? Good. Yeah? Joseph? The Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity. Seth? Being justified, that's good. What else? What do you think of anything of righteous, Christian? Okay, good. Yeah, honoring good morals. Any other thoughts? So I looked up in good old, uh, I guess a combined sort of definitions to get this definition, but righteous, oh, I can't spell. R-I-G-H-T. Righteousness. Taking up way too much space. Means without guilt, without tarnish, without stain, and without blemish. Right? Or in other words, perfect. To be righteous. I spell it right? E-O. Yep. All right. So righteousness, right? To be righteous means without guilt, tarnish, stain, or blemish. In other words, perfect. When I uh, think about this sort of online, and a good earthly example, I think of like diamonds, right? What makes a diamond so valuable? Especially in particular, not like your little diamonds you might find like in kids' jewelry sections because some of those actually have diamonds in them and they're like 20 bucks, 30 bucks, right? But the diamonds that are in like an engagement ring, what makes them so incredibly valuable? It's beauty. It's beauty, yeah. Yeah, Elizabeth? The size of it, yeah. What else? They're rare. They're rare, yes, especially that size. Yep. Very strong. The, the clarity of the diamond. Right? And what is clarity? Is you right? Uh, how clear it is, how clean it is. Yep. How, cl- how clean it is. Because a perfect diamond is actually completely clear. It's colorless. Another way to say it. What else? Cut. Cut. Yep. And what is the cut? But even each of those shapes, they have exact angles they cut them to for the purpose of reflecting the light the best. Right? Because if you cut a diamond, even if it's perfect, and you cut it the wrong way, it's not going to reflect light very well. So what makes a diamond so valuable is all the things you mentioned. Joseph mentioned as being very hard. In fact, the only thing that can damage a diamond usually is another diamond. And when they cut diamonds, they use diamonds to cut diamonds. Isn't that interesting? They sharpen really unvaluable diamonds... They sharpen unvaluable ones in the sense that they are, have bad color in them because most diamonds, you may not realize this, there's actually a lot. Somebody said there's not very many diamonds. There's not very many good ones. That's what makes them valuable. But there's thousands upon thousands upon, actually hundreds of thousands of diamonds that are in vaults that they don't want. 
Nobody wants. They mine them out with all the good stuff. And they just sit there. And they use them to cut other diamonds is essentially their purpose. And most diamonds, you may not realize, but are actually yellow. So the ones that are in engagement rings are the really clear ones, the very rare ones. In fact, I looked up, what does a one-carat diamond, the average one-carat diamond, which would be a large diamond, right? If you're not familiar with sizes, it's worth about $2,000, but they're yellow, primarily. And that's if it's cut perfectly and everything else is perfect. I mean, if it's perfect except for color, it's worth about 2000 Now, if you change one of those four, again, you have the cut. If you mess up the cut, your diamond's pretty much worthless right off the bat. Then there's carbon inside it. You want it nice and clear again, or it'll reflect back. You have crystal clarity again, so again, colorless, like Christian mentioned, right? And the size, like Elizabeth mentioned. So if you have all four of those right, they call it a perfect diamond. There's a name for it, I forgot what it was. But it's worth $25,000 for a one carat one. So it's interesting. You go from a $2,000 diamond to a $25,000 diamond based on if it just changes simply the color. Right? And if you scratch it, which again, probably would take another diamond, but if you do scratch it, it drops down to about $10,000 with just one scratch. Right? So you don't want to scratch your diamond. But here's the thing. To be righteous is to be perfect. Right? Again, it's just an illustration, but as soon as a diamond has something wrong with it, it loses its value. Do you get it? Another no longer jumps out to you, right? What makes you catch, you know, somebody catch their eye when they see a diamond ring and you're like, wow, that's amazing. You know, that guy must really like you, girl, right? But it's because it's so rare and it catches the light, so it catches your eye. Correct? That's why we, we buy these diamond rings, right? It's a sign of our affection or, and our commitment to, some, to a lady in particular. Right? So what moves the diamond from just blah to eye-catching is its perfection. And if you think about it, what, what, what moves us from being ineffective and sort of blah, hypocritical Christian to, wow, this person really means what they say and stand up for it is, in fact, our righteousness or reflection of Jesus. You see the connection? So the more righteous, the less guilt, tarnish, stain, blemish, etc. that we have in our lives, the more attractive, in fact, our witness, our faith, and our life is, the more powerful it is. And sometimes just one thing can really kind of mess it up and throw it off. Right? Romans 3.23, again, talking about God, our righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu, says, For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we get it. We've all messed up, and we're short of God's perfection, his righteousness, because again, it is absolutely, fundamentally perfect in every way. There's nothing that Jesus is off on. Right? And so the challenge is, if we are called to be righteous, we have to recognize that since we're not perfect, or we're not equal, even if we're doing an amazing job, we're like that scratched diamond. And we're not even close to Jesus' standard. Do you get it? It's kind of an impossible task or thing that he's called us to. So you probably have seen this illustration before, but I'm going to show it to you now anyways. Um, 
The idea of God being righteous and the unrighteous person is kind of over here, right? It's like I want to get to God in his amazing throne room. These are my high-tech drawings here. And yet because we are, have sin in our life, because we've messed up, because we're born into sin and we make mistakes and we have guilt and we have blemish, we have stain, we have mistake, there is no way, we're not even close, there's no way for us to get to God. Right? By definition, on our own, not being righteous, we are then unrighteous. Right? Now what's a, what's a self-righteous person? What does it mean to be self-righteous? Yeah. And compared to what? What did you say, Amy? The eyes of God. In the eyes of God, okay. Yeah. So when they're saying, I am righteous or having that self-righteous attitude, they're comparing themselves to, are they comparing themselves to God or just other people? But primarily, it's probably others. Correct? So if you think of the self-righteous person, here's the unrighteous, right? Knowing they messed up, here's the self-righteous person. Right? They got their little halo. Yeah. Like, I'm better than they are, but look how far away from God they still are. And there's no way they're ever getting there. Right, so when you read through the Bible and you see the self-righteous, they have the kind of this attitude of, I am better than you are, like the Pharisees. Right, remember what Jesus said to them? He called them what? Ever think of any of his accusations he gave them? He called them a brood of vipers. Right? And it was because they had this self-righteous attitude. Because what the Pharisees did was they said, look at me instead of look at God. Right? They said, I'm giving all the offerings. Right, I'm not following in on this sin. I'm not working on the Sabbath. I'm not doing all these things. All they did was point to themselves over and over and over and over and over again. And Jesus called them a brood of vipers because they were distracting people from looking at Jesus. See, the point of living for God isn't to point everything to ourselves, but it's to be a reflection and point everybody to Jesus and to God the Father. Right, so we have to be careful not to be self-righteous like the Pharisees. Instead, I think Jesus wants us to be set apart. So the question becomes, how do you go from being unrighteous to set apart and living for God and not being self-righteous where you're focusing on yourself? How do you get across the chasm? You ever seen this illustration before? Yeah, yeah right? So pretty easy answer, right? Are you going to answer it, Amy? Yeah, right? Yeah, Jesus bridge. So the only way to get there is to recognize as the unrighteous person, not that we're self-righteous and better than others, better than unbelievers, but that we are set apart because of the cross and the work of Jesus. Does that make sense? We stand out not because of our own works and our own goodness and our own avoiding certain sins, 
But we stand apart, we surrender those things because of the work of Jesus. And only because of the work of Jesus are we set apart. And what's kind of crazy about it is you can have these, these two people, the self-righteous and the set-apart, and it's a mindset that's different, not necessarily what's going on on the outside. But if people are around you long enough, they'll know the self-righteous person is constantly pointing at themselves. Look what I've done. Look how great I am. Versus the set-apart is constantly pointing to the cross and the work of Jesus. Grateful for what God has done in their life. I was thinking of what makes somebody um, attractive when they are, are set apart. And I think the reality is, is that is they're, they're healthy, right? And again, you know, going back to John Maxwell, I love that guy, the, the laws of attraction. He talks about being attracted to someone who's equal to you, right? Think about it. If you are a world-class athlete or even like a high school athlete, you're probably not going to be attracted to somebody that's like 200 pounds overweight right? And the same thing here, being set apart. If you are set apart for God and living for God, you're not going to be attracted to somebody who's living in sin, like the rest of the world, right? If you're set apart and you're living for Jesus and you're making a difference in people's lives, going and hanging out and spending some time and wanting to be with them for any other reason than witnessing to somebody who's caught in drugs, sleeping around like crazy. You can go down the list of things. It's not very attractive, right? You might be friends with them, but it's not very attractive what they're doing. And so again, Jesus asks us to be set apart because, again, it's a good reflection of him. I want to read the scripture. Jump around a little bit. So it's in Jeremiah chapter 23, if you want to go there, in your Bibles. I'm going to read the first six verses. So it's Jeremiah chapter 23, starting in verse 1. And what's interesting is he's actually addressing the self-righteous in this passage. And here's his words to them. This is in the Old Testament. So there were self-righteous people in the Old Testament just as well as in the New. Jeremiah 23, verse 1, he says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. And again, he's talking to the self-righteous leaders. We're destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. In other words, his people, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of the flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture. Well, they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any go missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will have, live in safety. This is the name on which he will be called the Lord our righteous. Savior. Here in the end, he's talking about Jesus coming, right? A branch of David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign, reign wisely. So, 
Again, he talks about the self-righteous. Basically, they're making themselves an enemy of God. Again, the New Testament, he, Jesus calls them a brood of vipers, right? And he goes and he casts woes on them, which in the Old Testament was not good, right? It would bring, of course, a lot of bad things like disease, death, famine, starvation, war, all these things. And he's saying, I'm going to remove them all from their position. Because God Almighty is about finding a more perfect people, or in other words, people who actually care. That's what he's saying. I'm going to bring up and raise up a group of people who actually care. Right? And care, again, not about being this, but about being set apart. Right? And often in the Old Testament, he would call this a remnant. Again, a group of people who want to be set apart to live for God and to point people constantly to God the Father and because of the work of Jesus on the cross. You know, why are you set apart? Well, it's not because, well, I want to live good and it's wise. It's because what Jesus did for me. Right? It's not because I want to get rich. It's because I want to be a good steward of what God has given me. So there's a different mindset that takes place when you're set apart. We're going to flip to Romans. Romans chapter 4. Verse 20. And this, he is, uh, the he in this section of scripture we're going to read is talking about Abraham. Um, those of you who have been coming the last few weeks remember Abraham was uh, the one we talked about, Jehovah Jireh, where Abraham goes up on the mountain to um, sacrifice his son Isaac. And Abraham walks that, up that mountain, even though it's so painful to sacrifice his son that he cares so much about, he's chasing after what God has in store for him. And out of that, he comes this huge reward. And, we, and this is part of the story in Romans chapter 4. In verse 20 it says, again, yet he is an Abraham, yet Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is what it was credited to him as righteousness. Again, he's trusting what God has for him in his future and trusting it completely, without blemish, without stain. Fully sold out for God. The words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, this is Paul talking, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification, or you could say for our purification or our righteousness, becoming like him again, the reflection of him. So again, Abraham sets himself apart because he fully believes in what God has in store for him. What do you believe God has in store for you for your future? You ever ask yourself that question? You know, sometimes when you're going through things and, uh, you know, you're trying to live for Jesus, trying to be set apart, and people are asking you hard questions, or they're uh, talking to Isaac earlier today, or being offended by something you do because it's Christian, right? How do you respond to that? Do you trust God with your future? That he has something good in store for you? And that your life is truly meant to be a set-apart reflection for him, honoring God? I hope you believe in God's power and his righteousness. Again, righteousness really means, again, this idea that we are completely set apart for God, for his honor, for his glory, 
And really, we get the benefit. We get the benefit of being justified and being a good reflection of him. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to break up into our small groups. Probably have plenty of time, so uh, if we want to play games afterwards, we're certainly more than welcome to. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for tonight, God. Um, God, I thank you for what you're doing in colliding with these students. Lord, I pray that you would be um, really growing your people, doing a refining work. Really, this year has been about refining your people, Lord Jesus. You, are, and you have really been making a, a remnant, people that are set aside and apart for you, that want to live for you, that want to stand up for you, Lord Jesus, that want to take risks for you. And Lord, I pray in this group tonight, Lord, that uh, many of these students and that they would together decide, you know what, I want to make an impact with my life. I want to make an impact in such a way that I'm set apart in my friends, whether I go to work at a coffee shop, Lord Jesus, whether I'm at school, uh, whether I'm at home, that they would really choose with their life to honor you and to live for you and to be refined into your image. Lord, you call your refiner's fire in the Old Testament. Lord, help us to be a great reflection of your righteousness. It's not our righteousness, it's yours. And because we identify with you, Jesus, as our Lord and our Savior, we get to be set apart as you claim us righteous. It has nothing to do with us but our surrender to you. Lord, help us to have a powerful witness out of that to our friends and to our family and to our community and to one another. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen.